0: your missionaries to the country of Indonesia. And uh, so I'm excited to share with you all tonight. Um, I, uh, I, I was thinking a bit about my message tonight, and um, one of the thoughts that came to mind is that I, um, I, I'm about, I think, 10 years ahead of where you're at, all right? Um, is anybody in the room 23? Any 23? A few? Okay, yeah. Pastor Joey said we got a lot of like 20 to 24, that general range. Well, Ten years ago, I was preparing to go to Indonesia. Um, I was newly married. My son, um, Caleb, was six months old when we moved to Indonesia. And um, one of the things that I feel like has sort of marked our family's journey is a real belief and dedication to the mission. And so one of my, uh, one of my goals tonight is to inspire you to be on mission Um, And not, you know, you hear that so often, right, but to actually believe it as much as I believe it. Um, I think that right now our world, it needs you to be on mission more than ever before. That you can't, you know, you can't think of yourself just, you know, I, I like, I shared this analogy with the church this morning that sometimes we think of ourselves in the church as sort of being on a cruise ship. You know, you come in, even tonight, I kind of felt like that, right? I got, I got offered a coffee like three different times, man. I was like, this is this is awesome, right? And You've got, you have all the right, you know, it's so easy, right, to forget everything that's going on outside the walls of the church and to look at all the services and the great coffee and the, the fellowship that takes place and small group and all these things that happen and to think that, man, this is just sort of like a cruise ship and Pastor Joey's the captain and and we're all just enjoying everything and to forget that, no, we're actually on mission, that, that the ship of the kingdom of God isn't a cruise ship, it's a battleship, that we have positions positions and we have things that we need to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And you find yourself, I'm i am so blown away that you're here tonight and want to applaud that, that you make an effort to be in a place as a young person to say, I, I want to discover that purpose, that mission for my life. I want to make a difference in the world. And, um, and uh, you, you're in, you're at such an advantage right now. Um, I was I was thinking about even as I was coming here. Just what what sort of things do I feel like? Uh, attributed to some of our success and missions. And largely, I, I think it was because 10 years ago, we, we went into missions. We said, we're gonna take that step. Um, I, it feels uncertain. I'm not sure what it's gonna look like. I, I don't know what it looks like to raise a young family in a foreign country and to learn a new language and all of that, but we're gonna go ahead and step out and do that. And so that's my prayer tonight, is that you would be inspired to not to, to really to be on mission right here um, in your community in Chicago. And I believe that God's gonna call some of you tonight to go to the mission field, to be sent to some of the darkest places on the planet to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? All right, Indonesia, um, for those of you that, are sitting here saying, I have no idea where Indonesia even is. You failed your geography class. You weren't sure. Um, Indonesia is an island nation. It's made up of 17,000 islands that stretch from India all the way down to Australia. Um, Spread out across these islands are millions of people. In fact, it's the fourth most populated country in the world. So most of us know China, India. Number three in population is the United States. But number four is Indonesia with 270 million million people living there. And what a lot of people don't realize is Indonesia is actually the largest Muslim nation in the entire world. Um, There's more Muslims in Indonesia than the entire Arabic-speaking world combined. Places like Saudi Arabia, UAE, Qatar, I mean, there's more Muslims in my area of world in Asia Pacific than that entire area combined. And that's where we moved to um, about nine years ago. And um, I'll never forget moving to Indonesia. I was 24 years old at the time. I had a six-month-old baby, um, newly married, was in for the adventure of a lifetime. And when we showed up, it was totally overwhelming, all right? As you, you get off the plane, if, if you've ever uh, been overseas or in another country, maybe you've had this experience where you feel like a fish out of water, right? You, I got off the plane and you're met with 100% humidity. There's people everywhere. There's, uh, you know, people are speaking a different language. There's signs that I can't read. I I can't figure anything out. And to say that we were overwhelmed would be an understatement. Um, In the first year, uh, we learned the language. It's Bahasa Indonesia. And um, in those first couple months, we would spend four hours a day in language school. And then we'd spend four hours walking around our village trying to practice our Indonesian. And uh, one of the things that was really helpful um, was my son, Caleb. Um, he was super cute, and he was this chubby little baby, red hair, probably the only redhead in all of Indonesia. And people would come to us, not because they wanted to talk to us, but because they wanted to see this red-haired baby. And, um, and so one afternoon, we were out practicing our Indonesian. We could barely speak anything. We could say, you know, hi, how are you? What's your name? Where's the toilet? That was about it. And um, we were in a conversation with a neighbor and out walks this Indonesian woman that was really excited to see my son Caleb. And she took Caleb out of my wife's arms and started holding him and and walking with him. And we're in the middle of a conversation. In the middle of this conversation, I start looking around And I realized that my son Caleb is totally gone, right? Like he's nowhere to be found. And so we're now using sign language to try to figure out where Caleb went and where this woman took him. Um, And so the neighbor we're talking to points down the street to a house where there's a, a tent erected outside. There's some sort of large gathering happening and said that that's where your son is. And so we walk down the street and we go to this party that's taking place and out walks this Indonesian woman that now has my son, Strapped to her body with a baby carrier, and he's got a cookie in his hand. He's happy as can be, and of course, we're totally terrified. All right, if I know Pastor Joey can probably understand what that might feel like, and um. We are at this party. Now we're trying to figure out what kind of party do we just get ourselves invited into, right? And people are eating and they're enjoying themselves or having a good time. I wasn't sure if this is a birthday party, anniversary, what's going on. And so we begin this game of charades and um, it lasts for about three minutes. They begin making all these hand motions and when it finally caught on, they were going like, like this, all right? And then they were pointing like this, and we realized that we were at our very first circumcision party for the 13-year-old boy that was sitting inside the house. Now, to say that we were overwhelmed would be an understatement, right? To say that, that we lacked cultural understanding, that we, we kinda, that, that we, needed, we needed some way. And I remember walking away from an experience like that and thinking, how are we ever going to to reach the, the multitudes of people, the millions, the 270 million people that stretch across the 17,000 islands of Indonesia. And we began that first several years in Indonesia asking God how, how he would use us to make an impact. You know, we felt like things were stacked together. We're young, inexperienced. We don't understand the culture, don't understand the language. And so uh, we began taking these vision trips, and we ended up in this, uh, going to this one city called Bogor. Can everybody say Bogor? There you go. That's where I live, okay? We went to the city called Bogor, and Bogor is a city that's um, real hostile to the gospel. It's uh, home to Islamic extremists. If you Google it, you'll find out that in 2015, it was named the most intolerant city in Indonesia, referring to religious intolerance. And um, it's a place where they closed down churches. And so we're, we're prayer walking that city. And um, I'll never forget, we, um, we make our way uh, after a long day to a cafe, and as we're sitting in this cafe, um, we're having dinner, and it was about 5.30 p.m. whenever I heard this sound. Now, for us in Indonesia, that, that sound is something that we've grown accustomed to hearing. We hear it five times a day. We hear it at seven, you know, 6.30 in the morning when we wake up. We hear it at 7.30 at night when we put our kids to bed. And, but at that moment, it felt some, something felt different about it. I had this realization that, every single day at that very moment, millions of people in that city were bowing their knee to a false God of a false religion, a God that can't hear them and can't answer them. And I was reminded of Matthew chapter 16 that says that that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God in that moment, he put a dream into our heart um, to plant a church because we realized that the only way we could possibly Reach the expanses of the islands of Indonesia was to establish a church and, to, and to, that would push back the spiritual darkness in that city. And so tonight I want to talk about that a bit, our journey and missions, and especially staying on mission as it um, also relates to you right here where you're at. But if you want to look here at the screen, we're going to be uh, taking a look at Matthew um, chapter uh, 16. Uh, starting in verse 13. It says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They replied and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But he said, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? He said, "Simon uh, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. All right, so to give you some of the context, Jesus is sharing this. This question comes up with his disciples, okay? And up until this point, there hasn't been a real revelation of who Jesus is. Um, People are saying all sorts of things about Jesus all around, uh, you know, all the regions that they visit. Some people say that Jesus is a prophet. They think maybe he's John the Baptist or some prophet that raised from the dead and and came to do miracles. They're, They're very confused. And now we have this moment where Peter makes this declaration that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so I want to share uh, three three lessons, some three things that, that I find in this passage about being on mission and how God has called each of us to be on mission. The first is this, is that we go confidently because Jesus said he would build his church that we go confidently because Jesus said he would build his church. There's an incredible promise that's baked into this passage that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and that he will build his church. That I believe that we can be confident that if we obey in going and sharing and going to our university and to our workplace and sharing about Jesus, that Jesus will be faithful in building his church um, in Matthew 16, Jesus asked this incredible question. He says, Who do people say that I am? And of course, we see the responses. You're Jeremiah, John the Baptist, some prophet of old. And um, in our context in Indonesia, We have the same question for people. Who do people say that Jesus is? And the reality is, is in the Islamic world, they know who Jesus is. They know uh, Jesus in Arabic is Isa. And so they, they believe Jesus Isa as a good prophet, a moral teacher, somebody to model their lives after yet they've yet to know him as Savior and Messiah. Um, similarly, when you think about who do people say that Jesus is at your university? Who do they, people say Jesus is at your office, at, at the school that you teach at? Who who do they think he, I mean, many people will, will say that they believe that Jesus was a historical figure, that he really exists, that maybe he was a lunatic, maybe he was out of his mind, maybe they believe that he had a lot of great teachings, you know, but do they actually know Jesus as Savior and Messiah? What I believe is that we can be confident that this news, this revelation, is, is so precious, so important, so vital to, to, to what the world needs in our day and age that we are confident that when we proclaim it, that Jesus will use us to build his church, that people will respond in faith just like what happened in the New Testament. Our city that we moved to, Bogor, like I said, was an intolerant city, a city where where you wouldn't typically think to go and plant a church. And you, you may ask, why would you go there? Like out of all the, you got 17,000 islands that you can choose. Why would you choose to go to a place that is resistant to the church, that's hostile to the gospel? And the, the reason is because I believe that we can go confidently to the darkest places on the planet because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Listen, this is a this is a big deal for us to grasp and to understand that the idea of Jesus being Messiah, all that means is that he's our savior, that Jesus is the one that came to save us from our sins and, and to set us straight, that he came to... to Um, reconcile us to God, that the Bible teaches that all of us, you know, have fallen short of, of God's, of God's glory. Meaning that no matter how hard we try, where there's, there's no way that we could ever reach God because God is perfect. But yet he sent his son, Jesus to not just be a prophet, not just be a teacher, not just somebody that we can model our life after, but somebody that is Messiah, somebody that can save us. It was God in the flesh. We, uh, So we go to this city and um, we begin launch meetings. We begin um, preparing to plant a church. And then on November 3rd, 2019, almost three years ago, we planted International Church Bogor. Um, We have a picture of it for you guys. Man, what God did in the city of Bogor was incredible. On our first grand opening service, we had 200 people at our first service. Um, we, we had, uh, in the first five months, we saw 50 salvations. We baptized dozens of people. And, and what God did was truly miraculous. And what we learned is that why does that happen? It's, it's not because we hold any value in our own ability to win people to Jesus, but we're fully confident, and I'm fully confident in you, right? That if you lift high Jesus, if you, if you proclaim Jesus as Lord and Messiah, that he will build his church, amen? We, we gotta be confident in that truth. I believe that the world needs that truth. Jesus is the Messiah. Number two, we go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail. <clears throat> All right, so in this passage of scripture, It's the very first time that the word church is used in the New Testament. Now, the word church in the original language is ekklesia, the gathering, that what we're doing right here, we're gathering together, you are Christ's church. And so Jesus brings up this word church and it's interesting what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'll build my church and man, everybody's gonna be super comfortable. I'll build my church and there's gonna be Incredible coffee. Man, I really wish I would have got that coffee. I'm gonna build my church and you're gonna have you know, amazing programs, beautiful buildings. Well, all those things are great. What Jesus says is I'll build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. Now, you, in order to even understand that statement, you have to understand the context that Jesus is talking here. He's, he's with his disciples and they're walking through a city called Caesarea Philippi. And as they're going through this city of Caesarea Philippi, I can imagine that they're looking off into the distance. and They're seeing temples, the false gods. They're, they're seeing temple prostitution. They're, they're smelling incense as being burned to the god pan of the city. And they find themselves, I believe, probably at this location. If you go to the next picture. This cave that's an actual place that's built into a, a that, that's carved out of a mountainside where a river in ancient times went right into the cave. And this place was actually part of pagan belief that it went into the underworld. There was a river that went into the cave and then it disappeared underground. And the belief was, this is the beginning of the underworld. This is where life and death meet. And they would actually sacrifice their children at this place. The name of this place is the Gates of Hades. And so when Jesus says that I'll build my church and not even... The gates of hell will prevail against it. He's not just talking about some metaphysical reality. He's not talking about politics. He's not talking about uh, you know some sort of social climate. He's not talking about some of the hardships we face. He's talking about a place where they sacrificed children. The false gods that people actually believed was the gates of hell. In other words, this represented this the darkest of the dark, the spiritual darkest darkness in the climate in ancient Rome. And Jesus is saying that not even this, not even a place that I imagine they're sitting there, they're looking around. He's saying not even everything you see around you, the the depravity, the sin will prevail against the church. That should give us incredible courage. And no matter what situation you you walk into, um, no matter how difficult you know your employer is or how um, maybe you know resistant your professor is to the gospel, we can walk into any place and declare god 's kingdom and we'll see that we'll see that spiritual darkness push back in the gates and, <clears throat> excuse me in the church established now here's what I believe, and I think it's important um, for all of us to understand this. I believe that kingdom advancement is hindered for lack of courage. I believe that the lost are waiting, they're ready to hear, but they're saying, who will be brave enough to take the gospel and to give us an invitation? One of the things as young people, you're, like I said, I feel like I'm just 10 years ahead of you. And if I could get back and My 23-year-old self, um, I I was actually, when I was 23, I was in a young adults ministry right here in Chicago, down the street. So very similar situation. And it's one thing to be fired up for God, to to be ready to go take your city, to be ready to share your faith. And it's a whole nother thing to actually take a step and to do something about it. That kingdom advancement, it's not hindered because people are not willing to hear our message. It's not hindered because of some sort of you know, we make all these excuses for it. We think, well, if if they were just kinder, if they would listen more, if 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 I had if I had more um, maybe experience or I had the right words, um, all these things. But I, I believe that no, that the world out there has lots of questions. They they have they, we they have lots of of, of um, you know pressures, and they're asking. They're saying, who will be brave enough to step out and to actually bring the gospel? To us, we need you to be on mission like never before, and it won't happen without courage. Um, In Indonesia, There's uh, several occasions every year that we try to go to some place that takes maybe a, an extra dose of courage to to go to, places that are maybe off the grid, um, that you you know you know we show up, you're not sure how you're going to be received, a place that's um, maybe more isolated and has after two thousand years has never heard about Jesus. And in May, um, we took a trip to one of these places. Somebody could grab me a glass of water. That would be awesome. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> and so to put in perspective how we had to get to this one place, it was a city called Wallaful, a little village. Um, we had to leave our, our city in the capital and we had to fly eight hours to an island called Ambon. And we got to the island of Ambon. We had to take an overnight, thank you, man, an overnight ferry to this island called Buru. And when we went to the island of Buru, we then get into the, the back of a dump truck that takes us three hours up the side of the volcano until we finally reach this little village of 100 people called Wallaful. Now, these people, um, 2,000 years after of gospel proclamation, have never heard the gospel. We call them the never reached, okay? Okay. Um, you might've heard of the unreached. We call these the never reached because they've never heard the gospel. You're thinking about people around the world. What I love about Asia Pacific and where we serve as missionaries is there's, this is the final frontier of world missions. And So when I say the never reached, I mean that these people will go their entire life without ever meeting a Christian. They'll never see a church. They'll never hear the name of Jesus unless someone goes and tells them. And so we go to this village. We don't know what to expect. We're not sure how we'll be received. The first night, um, we gather everybody around. We have um, some, some gospel meetings. And uh, the adults of the village were a little bit apprehensive. They weren't sure what, uh, what our motives were, but they sent all their children. And so all these kids show up. And what God did was powerful. The Holy Spirit fell in our meeting and these kids began to lift up hands and worship to God. And many of those kids made professions of faith to follow Jesus. And it it made such a stir in the village that the next night, all of the women and the children came to our meetings and we preached for three hours and they sat and listened. That's what you do when there's nothing to do in a village. You can just sit and listen. And at the end of that meeting, many of those women made decisions to follow Jesus and three of them actually went out to the river that runs parallel of the village and got baptized listen these people weren't never reached because they resisted the gospel they weren't never reached because um, you know because somehow they, they they rejected God they were never reached because nobody had gotten up the courage to take the gospel to wallaful Indonesia that that I mean I believe that our generation needs to believe in this mission that that Christ has given us so much this great commission that Pastor Joey just explained that that we've been commissioned to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, to make disciples of the nations. That it's up to us collectively to say we want to go to places like this, to places that are spread out across the world but are highly concentrated in Asia Pacific, the people that have never heard the gospel. The third night we had our final meeting. The story gets better. And at our final meeting, everybody was gathered, the whole village, and the chief of the village actually stood up and he made this proclamation. He said, no other church, no other denomination, no other uh, religion can build a house of worship here, but we give permission to the assemblies of God, which is what we're a part of here, to build a church in our village. And right now there's a church being erected in that village because of courage. Listen, we've got to go confidently because Jesus said he would build his church. We got to go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail. We need you to be confident. We need you to be courageous. The last thing is that we go consistently because if we won't, who will? Um, In this passage, I, I just think about Peter that, you know, Peter must have based his life off of what Jesus told him here, right? that this must have become his promise. It must have become his life verse, whatever you wanna call it, his mission statement. He probably woke up every morning and said, I'm Peter, and on this rock, right? I'm, the Christ is gonna build his church. It's probably what was running through his mind and um, whenever he preached his first sermon after Pentecost and uh, 3,000, it says, came to faith, that this was something that kept him motivated whenever things were really exciting, right? Whenever 3,000 came to faith and whenever he was in prison, He was always going back, I'm sure, to I'm the rock in which the church is being established. And it was that consistency of showing up over and over again, day after day, month after month, year after year, And what we have found is that missions is so similar. Being on mission, and I talk about missions, what we do, but also just being on mission, wherever you find yourself, your university, your workplace, the place that, you know, the, the office, wherever you find yourself, being on mission isn't about an event. It's not about showing up on a one-day thing and God doing something. It's about showing up consistently, over and over and over and over again, and saying, "God, I'm available. I'm ready. I'll do whatever it takes." Um, I I was thinking as well. So right now, I shared this earlier, but you, as young people, being in your twenties, you're so advantaged that like the greatest advantage you have is your youth, right? That um, I was, I recently started this book. Some of you probably read it. I just started reading it called Outliers. And I was just, I, I was blown away because I was thinking about how, like, you know, I felt, I started feeling pretty good about myself. I'm like, you know, man, maybe I'm an outlier. You know, maybe I'm like, I, like Pastor Joey. Maybe Pastor Joey's an outlier. You know, he's, you guys heard him up here. He just comes, he stands up on stage. He hears a song and he preaches a sermon. You know, like he is a true outlier, and this book explains that really there are no outliers that one. And it talks about some of the advantages that we have and that to develop any skill, it takes about 10 years. And I look back, I'm like, Oh, Hey, I've had 10 years to develop some skill. I was thinking about pastor Joey Axler, that same thing. He's up here. And you know, he just became, you know, senior pastor here at Belmont assembly of God. Wow. Woohoo! And the church is thriving under a new leadership. And, and, uh, Man, it's because Joey's amazing, but it's also because Pastor Joey was able to sit for how many years? Thirteen years. To, to, to watch and observe and get ideas and to, to be in that pressure cooker. And so my, my point is, is that that all happens with consistency, that, that, that the church needs you to show up consistently to say, I wanna grow, I wanna learn, I wanna do whatever it takes. I wanna serve, whether it's uh, serving in our kids' ministry or serving in the parking lot or serving in, in the cleanup crew or whatever it is, those are all the jobs I had whenever, before I went to the mission field. So those are good jobs but showing up consistently. I love this verse from Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, Paul is who wrote that. And in the book of Galatians, the church that he was writing to, he had preached to years earlier. And you can feel a sentiment as he's sharing in that letter that he's a little bit frustrated with that church. That they had somehow just kind of gone astray. They started following some false teachings. And then he comes to this point in the chapter after seeing very discouraged. And he says, don't become weary. Don't be. Don't get discouraged. Keep on doing the good work. Keep showing up consistently. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, right right now, you find yourself kind of at the beginning of that journey of 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 whatever you're pursuing, right? Whatever, whatever that area that God has given you um, to to serve in His kingdom. But there's going to come a point where you're going to have to go back to say, don't give up. Don't become weary. Keep on doing that good work. Whether it's during a good time in life, whether it's during a bad time in life, I'm going to keep on showing up. And, uh, and the promise is so clear here. I love the promise of scripture that if we don't give up, we win. That there's this promise that if you keep at it long enough, the, the secret to success, I mean, maybe you're trying to figure out how do I become successful? Keep at it right? Just keep on being consistent, showing up every single week. Keep coming here to this gathering. Keep building into those relationships in your small groups. Keep coming to the times that come together for prayer, and God will begin to develop you. It it may take a while, but don't give up, and you will see a harvest. And so for us, um, in our context, you know, this is what missions looks like. It doesn't always look super exciting. I've got quite a few really cool stories from the last nine years, but emphasis on few, right? Like I got quite a few, but there's not like every single day you have this incredible moment of, like you feel like a superhero or something. Usually it's just showing up every single week. and But whenever you do that consistently, you see God do cool things. One of those stories um, was, um, in January of 2021, our church had been closed for about 10 months um, because of the pandemic. And we reopened our church. And um, at that very first service, we had 38 people, right? We had gone from 200 down to 38. And it's one of those things where you, uh, you know, I'm sure maybe you've experienced this in some area of your life where you just feel kind of deflated, like what I tried, failed. Maybe we should just pack up, go back online and and just, you know that was easier that way. But- When we showed up, one of the very first families that came to that meeting was this Muslim refugee family from Iraq. They had been living in Indonesia for about five years and nobody had befriended them. And they came to our church primarily for their kids um, because they wanted some sort of community for them, especially in the midst of this pandemic. Well, they began coming to our church every single week. In those early days, being back open, we didn't have any volunteers. So um, the wife, she was still wearing the head covering, still a Muslim, but she was serving in our kids' ministry because that's how desperate we were, all right? So we were taking everybody and anybody and we began sharing Jesus with them. And then um, in May of 2021, we gave them this Bible. And they began reading the Bible. They, they, they took it as their prized possession. And, and as they began reading it, they're reading about the miracles of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the plan of salvation. And we got them involved in an in a, in a Arabic speaking small group. And, and then in November, nearly one year later, Abdullah, the, the guy in this picture, got baptized. Now, to me, what this this shows is that this is a big deal, that that Abdullah made this decision that he was going to go into the waters of baptism, showing that his life was was being um, signified by Christ's death and his resurrection, that this symbolic moment was him sharing to the world the decision he made. I remember at that moment, my wife was standing next to his wife, and she had yet to follow Jesus and said, Shireen, do you understand the significance of what's taking place here? And Shireen you know, slowly nodded her head and said, yes, Pastor Kathleen, I, I understand. Because for Abdullah, he's he's saying bye to everything in his past. I mean, it's not just an analogy for him that the old is gone. Like, no, the old is gone. If he goes back to his home country, he can't, you know, it's over. He's saying bye to financial gain. He's saying bye to his family. He's 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 giving up everything to follow Jesus. And what this shows me is that when we show up, even whether it's, 38 or it's, you know, whatever, 1,008, that when we show up consistently, if we don't grow weary, if we keep on showing up at the right time, we will reap a harvest. I believe so strongly that God wants to use your generation and my generation to finish this task of mission, Uh, sharing to the world about what Jesus has done. That, that mission, the, the, the global missions, you know, it's, it's about what happens right here in our city and I'm very concerned about Chicago and the United States, but, but the, the, the task of world missions is so much bigger than that. That it's, it's about going to places where people have never heard the gospel. And generation after generation have been saying, maybe we'll be the ones to finish this task. The task of taking the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every people group. And I believe that we really can be it. And my, my prayer tonight, as we get prepared to close, maybe, maybe the worship team, you guys can help us as we close and pray. But my prayer tonight is that you would believe in the mission, with, that, that there would be this impartation, this transferring of, of, of conviction that we can be that generation, that, that what we do today, that the choices we make, the, the way that we serve, the, the, the relationships we have, the, the commitment we have to, to sharing our faith and uh, the things that we're studying and the way that we're being developed, that maybe it seems insignificant, but that if you realize, no, we're on mission. We're gonna do whatever it takes to see the completion of this thing in our generation. Maybe for you, that looks like some of you say, I'm there's no way that I'm ever going to go. And I'm going to pray that God would send you, you know, but but maybe for some of you, you know, it looks like right now you're, you're, you know, in the middle of your, your master's or doctoral program or whatever, and you're grinding away. You're like thinking, why am I doing this? Is it, how, how does this even, how does this even correlate? Maybe you're doing it and, and, if you were honest, you're just thinking mostly about getting that paper you can put on the wall and that big salary and driving that nice car. But I can tell you no, I want you to be so committed to mission that when you go into those classes, you're working super hard because you're going to graduate top of your class because you're going to get the highest paying job and you are going to fund global missions that, that you're going to say that man I, I don't I don't want to just be rich for the sake of being rich but I want to leave a legacy that that surpasses anything that's been seen at Belmont Assembly before that that you would that in this in this group that sort of that sort of person would grow from this this group I believe that maybe there's others that need to get so committed to mission that. You're sitting on the sidelines, and you're saying, "I'm just not ready yet." Uh, I, I, man, I just I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't have enough knowledge of the Bible. I, you're waiting around for the right thing to happen, for you know a bright shining light to come from the sky, and for God to speak to you, and and yet the mission's so clear that you would be committed j- simply because the Scripture says, "Go right." that, that, that you, you felt that stirring inside of your heart. You said, you, you're, maybe you're not sure, is God calling me to go for a lifetime or is he calling me to go for a year? But man, I'm, unless God stops me, I'm gonna go. One of my mentors always puts it this way. He says that he, when it comes to the call of God, it's important to live with a green light mentality. When I was young, when I was younger, I'm still young, but when I was 23, 10 years ago with you, I remember I was, I was ready to go to the mission field and I was talking to all my peers and it just seems like everybody was, was waiting. They were living life with the red light, you know? They're waiting for something to happen. And at that moment, it would be the sort of like, if, if you know the story, Gideon, right? They're waiting for the sign. They're waiting for, you know, putting their fleece out, waiting for something to happen. And then they would go, God, if you just do X, Y, and Z, if you just give me that spouse, um, if you just give me, if, you, if, if all my school debt's gone, if, if, if I pay off all this, these loans or whatever it is, then, then I'll go. And I think that we, we gotta start shifting our mentality. No, we're so committed to this mission that Jesus has given us. We really believe, we don't just sing about it. We don't just lift our hands to it, but we're so committed that we're gonna say, no, I'm gonna go right now. Maybe you are gonna go to the mission field, but I'm gonna go right now to whatever ministry's happening right here through my local church. I'm not just gonna come to worship. I'm gonna get involved in, um, you know, in, in food distribution. I'm gonna get involved in, in, um, in compassion ministry. I'm gonna get involved in anything I can to see this mission push forward My prayer tonight is that we would be so committed to the mission as a generation. I, I really, I, I, I've i believed it so much that I carried my family to Indonesia to see it happen. And uh, I, honestly, over the last 10 years, there's been moments where I did want to give up. I did want to quit. And I'm sure you did too. <laughs> you know, maybe you're at the beginning, you're like, you've quit before you even begun. But I believe... That if we as a generation would take serious the mission, that if we go confidently, we go courageously, we go consistently, that we will see God do miraculous things in our generation, in our time. We will be a part of it if we commit ourselves fully to that call. And so with that, I want us to go back into a time of worship before we respond to the Lord in prayer. If you guys can lead us. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Oh, mm-hmm. And I will make room for you To do whatever you want to To do whatever you want to Let's say in that attitude of worship right now God, we make room for you tonight God, we make room for you tonight God, we want to do whatever you've called us to do, oh God Hallelujah, Lord God, whatever, whatever we need to lay down, God, whatever dream, God, whatever, whatever ambition, Lord, anything that's not of you, God, Lord, we want to make room, God, for your plan, your purpose, God, to be done in, in our lives, Lord. You know, tonight I, I feel a strong burden to pray for those that are feeling that unique call. Maybe it's just a beginning of it, it's a stirring of it, you're not sure what to make of it, but you're feeling that unique call that I've got I've to go. I, I believe that there's really only two types of people, right? That you either go or you send, and there's nowhere in between. And so it, it wouldn't be out of the usual that a lot of you might be called to go, that, that God would be stirring something inside of your heart. And so tonight, if that's you, you're saying, Pastor Ben, I feel called to go. Pray for me. I need that courage. I need that confidence. I need that, that tenacity, that commitment to mission. If you can just let me know, just raise your hand so I can see it. I see two hands. Okay, we got two called to go, three called to go, four called to go, five called to go. I believe that God is calling you, that that is stirring inside of your hearts. Is there anybody else? Say, Pastor Ben, pray for me. I'm feeling that stirring inside of my heart to go. You know, I felt that stirring inside of my heart as a naive little 12-year-old boy. I was at a big youth event, and there was thousands of people gathered, and they said, do you feel called to go into missions? And I just stood up. I just felt something compel me to stand up. And it was just that moment that has carried me all the way to the mission field. And God speaks to you through that journey. And I believe that this stirring in this moment, it's, it's not something to just take lightly. That, that that stirring is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's, it's crying out, you know, that, that crying out from the nation saying, who will go for me? Who will go for me? The Isaiah voice saying, I'm, I'm here, Lord, send me. And so I want to ask those of you that rose your hand, I, I'd love to pray for you as we sing this song. I want to ask you to come and me and Pastor Joey, we're going to just pray a prayer of anointing over you. you guys can all just join me in the front for a moment as we pray, because like I said, we're all called to this mission. And we want to join around just even those that responded to saying, I want to go. Because listen, you may be looking in the back as spectators thinking, what part do we have to play? But there isn't this sort of dichotomy like, oh, they're on mission and we're not. No, you're you're called to send. You're called to support. You're called to pray. You're called to do whatever it takes to see that mission accomplished through those people that are out doing it. And we're all playing that role. And so I want to pray that you would be a generation that is so committed to the mission that you would stop at nothing, that that you would say, whatever it takes, whatever I have to give, whatever the sacrifice, that we would see it happen in our generation. Let's lift our hands to the Lord tonight as we receive this blessing from God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, God. Lord, like in the day of Pentecost, Lord, you poured out your spirit, and you said that that I, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm not going to make a, a difference, Lord, between young or old, between man or woman, God. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would rest upon them, that, God, that you said that they would be empowered to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that each person tonight, God, would take that anointing of mission upon them, God, that just as you anointed the apostles, just as you anointed, lord the first disciples just as the holy spirit came upon them god it wasn't even for worship moments like this it was for the mission and god i pray that this would be the generation god the holy remnant god that would stop at nothing to see the gospel go forth to the nations that they would be more serious about it more committed about it than any previous generation that's gone before them lord that God that they would stand on the shoulders, God of previous generations, that we would go farther, Lord, they would do more God, that Lord that they would give more God, they would send more people, Lord. God, I pray for a passion God that would burn inside of their hearts, God, for the nation's God. Lord, give them Chicago and give them the ends of the earth, oh God. we pray this in Jesus mighty. us listen this one last time.